At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? singing songs of praise and adoration and glory unto the name above all names, you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that we get to gather here together and sing praises. Thank you that you have called us yours. Thank you that we get to be here together as sons and daughters of a perfect father, that we get to be here together as brothers and sisters in your house, O oh Lord. We love you. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts and open our minds, equip us and anoint us to receive your word today. Thank you for the songs that we get to sing. Thank you for the message that is about to go forth. But more than songs and more than a message, we need you, Jesus. We need devotion to you, Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us, equip us and anoint us to receive you, Jesus. So I pray that today would be the, de the day of salvation for one or for many, whatever you have in store. I pray that today would be the day of rededication of lives back to you, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you bring us together on this your day, that it's not just another Sunday, that they're not just words on a screen, that these aren't just a message that was written, but you have foreordained us to be here right now. So meet with us as we seek you in your truth through your word, through your people. Thank you, Holy Spirit of the living God. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the praise, glory, honor, and adoration as we give a shout of hallelujah and we say amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, worship team. How many of you want to bless the name of God for our worship team? Come on, let's bless God. Yeah. You may be seated, and as the children make their way to kids' ministry, can we just give another round of applause for our children? Hallelujah. Let's just keep clapping for them. Come on, let's clap for our kids. Some parents are wondering why y'all stop clapping. They're like, my kid needs some help. My kid needs some encouragement, right? Amen. Amen. That's good. I love having our kids in here with worship. They teach us so much while they learn from us worshiping together. We started a new sermon series last Sunday called What Now? asking the question, how does tomorrow shape today? As we look at Matthew chapters 24 and 25, going through the Olivet Discourse as Jesus teaches his disciples. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles right now to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 15 today. Matthew 24, verse 15 today, we're going to look at a section of scripture called the abomination of desolation. Uh, and the words will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you. But it is very, very important that you bring a Bible with you to church uh, for a number of reasons. You need God's word more than you need my word. You can say amen to that. 
And how else will you know I'm not lying if you don't read it for yourself, right? You, you got to read the Bible for yourself. And today, we're going to talk about the happy and joyous topic of suffering. Yes! Somebody cheered. Amen. At the 930 service, people just stared at me, right? Uh, and I know that suffering isn't something that we necessarily love to talk about or want to talk about. Uh, but for those of us that have been trained by suffering, you know that without it, we wouldn't be where we are today. And without it... I don't know if we could say that we're following Jesus, right? The word says that to be glorified with him, you must suffer with him. I want to read a couple quotes about suffering from philosophers, authors, theologians, some Christ followers, some not, just to hear uh, kind of what the world has to say about this. And this is just a cursory uh, look uh, on Google of a couple quotes here and some, from some books that I've read. I just want to read these so we can hear kind of a, a rounded view of suffering. A Jewish philosopher, Ram Das, said, suffering is part of our training program for becoming wise. C.S. Lewis said, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. Suffering is like anything else. Live with it long enough and you learn to like the taste. Lee Barjugo said that. The only way out of the labyrinth of suffering is to forgive. John Green says this. Pain and suffering are always inevitable. For a large intelligence and a deep heart, the really great men must, I think, have great sadness on earth. Fyodor Dostoevsky said that in Crime and Punishment. Suffering is one of life's greatest teachers, Bryant McGill. We do not suffer by accident, Jane Austen. Suffering is but another name for the teaching of experience, which is the parent of instruction and the schoolmaster of life. Now, I would say that the vast majority of us, if any of us, would happily choose to suffer, right? That, that most, most times in our flesh, we do not want suffering. We do not choose suffering. We don't like it. We're not happy about it when it's happening. And again, almost nobody chooses it. And most of us do just about everything we can inside of our control to stop suffering, right? That when something hurts, we go to get treatment or we try to numb the pain away. When relationships have hurt us, what do we do? It's, uh, it's cutoff season, right? You get rid of people, right? So you get rid of this suffering. We'll do almost anything in our power, to not suffer. But if we take some of these quotes to heart and if we are truly following Christ, then those of us who have endured great suffering understand that it's much more than a cliche that the lessons do end up turning into blessings when you have suffered through things with endurance. That suffering teaches us much. And what we're going to look at today, really from Jesus' words, what he is saying to us today is don't be surprised when suffering comes. That's our big idea. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. And as we saw Jesus last week, if you were here with us last week when we opened Matthew chapter 24, he talked about this, this great suffering that's going to come, that the temple is going to be destroyed and false teachers are going to try to lead you astray and you're going to have to go through all these crazy things, right? Wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom and all these terrible things that are going to happen. Some of you might even die, right? So we hear of this suffering, and Jesus continues here in, ch in chapter 24, verses 15 through 28, in a section of scripture called the abomination of desolation. And we're going to go a little bit out of order than the way that we normally do today, where we're going to 
kind of set the stage for what's happening here and what I believe uh, is happening here. And as we get a little bit further into this uh, eschatological viewpoints of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum, in my opinion, whether you think we are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whether you think we're in the millennial kingdom or amillennialism or whatever that you may think. And if none of those words matter to you, you're probably better for it today. Like it's probably a good thing if they do matter to you. I'll be preaching from a pre-trib that we have not experienced the great tribulation yet. Uh, So I'll be preaching from that standpoint, but there's room for all of us in here up under God's grace. If we believe differently, it's okay. Um, So I just wanted to uh, address that for some of our theologians. And I believe that Jesus is talking about three days today. Uh, As we look at the abomination of desolation, I think he is alluding, with an A, alluding to a day in the past, probably a day that happened in 168 B.C. I think he is foreshadowing a day that's about to happen in the almost immediate future, four decades, from those who he is talking to in his original audience here in the first century, but a day that's in the past for us, that is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and I think ultimately he's talking about a day that is in the future for all of us, and that is the coming of the Son of Man. That is Christ's second coming, where we will see these things take place. So as we're going through this, you know, I'm going to kind of talk interchangeably about these different days, about 168 B.C., 70 AD, and this coming of the Son of Man, the second coming of Christ. So as you hear some of these days, just understand that uh, many of these things are prescriptive for those who are geographically in Jerusalem. I believe that Jesus right here is talking to people in Jerusalem specifically, but conceptually, there is things that we can learn today. That as Jesus is giving a prescription to his followers, to his disciples for something that's about to happen in four decades and something that's going to happen much further in the future, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and I believe that he is speaking to people who are specifically in Jerusalem, because he says, if you're in Judea, flee to the east, to the mountains. If you're up on the housetop, right, then you would come down, and the housetops for us is like our front porch or back patio. And how many of you have spent time on your roof recently? Not many of you, so not necessarily applicable instantly. But conceptually, it's very important for all of us. Anytime Christ speaks, we need to be listening. Amen? So uh, we've got a little bit of our framework here, a little bit of our context. Again, Jesus has made his way out of the temple, climbed up the Mount of Olives. Uh, That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. So we're going to see kind of how he addresses his followers, his disciples, a little bit more deeply as we go through verses 15 through 28. Uh, But I also want to just kind of outline our points today. So we're going to start with our points, and then I'm going to read the text in its entirety, and then we'll come back and pick it up because the whole message is really important for us. So point number one is to know that suffering will come. Know that suffering will come. Point number two, trust the sovereignty of God. Point number three, realize that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. So in the same way that we're talking about three potential days here, again, Jesus alluding to a former day, foreshadowing a day in the future for his immediate audience, alluding to a day that's also in the past for us, and then alluding to a day that is in our future. I want you to think about three words. Somebody say three words. Suffering. You can repeat after that. It's okay. You can repeat after me. Suffering, sovereignty, Savior. Suffering, sovereignty, Savior. So as we look at these three points and we go through these 13 verses of pretty live scripture, right? It gets pretty serious when Jesus is talking here. The imagery is pretty serious, so uh, we're going to run through this in its entirety, and then we're going to come back and pick up at point number one. So Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 15. If you're there, say, Lord, I love your word. If you're not, you need to get there. The words will be on the screen behind me, but you need Jesus' word more than you need mine. He says this, 
Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. That's much of what we just did. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The elect is God's people, God's chosen people, Christ's bride, those who belong to the Lord. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather." So as we look at point number one, to know that suffering will come, as we see Christ teaching his disciples, preaching his disciples in a sermon here in the Olivet Discourse, he is painting a picture of the pain that is going to come. Again, we're talking about 70 AD, 168 BC, and a day that is coming in the future. He's painting this picture of the fall of Jerusalem, something that was prophesied in the book of Daniel, something that he said was going to happen himself when the temple was destroyed. But in the book of Daniel, it talks about this, this time, this abomination of desolation, right? We hear this uh, in the book of Daniel in four different chapters. It's in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, and chapter 12. And we don't have time to go through all the prophecy of Daniel, Ezekiel, Micah, Zechariah, Revelation, and, and compare it with Matthew chapter 24. I wish we could do all this today. I really do. But this is mostly going to be conceptual to what Christ is saying. So it's not going to be a deeply historical Bible study, and we're not going to, you know, add the four and uh, add up the 70 weeks of seven and carry the one and figure out the day that Christ is going to return. That's not what we're here for today. We're here to hear what Christ is speaking and preaching to his disciples and how that matters to us today with a little bit of historical example. So he's talking about these times when he says, know that suffering will come. He's talking about 70 AD. He's talking about the future tribulation, the second coming of Christ, which is going to be a big deal, which you need to come back next week to hear about. Uh, Drew Clarkson is going to be preaching a word next week, which I'm so excited. We've been working on it together already, uh, and I'm excited to hear him preach about the coming of the Son of Man. But then he talks about, again, this abomination of desolation, which shows up in the prophet Daniel. And I believe that, that, so that was about 500 years before Christ when Daniel made this prophecy. And then 168 BC, so that's 168 years before Christ, this very event happened. The abomination of desolation happened with a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, which you'd never need to know his name again. But Antiochus Epiphanes, his name means the illustrious one. His name means God manifest. He's basically, uh, his name kind of talks about a shining forth of something. So similarly to the way that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, Antiochus Epiphanes believed he was the image of Zeus. He believed that he was a God himself made manifest. And in 168 BC, he came in, invaded Jerusalem, invaded into the holy place where Daniel said the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. And what he did is he 
desecrated the temple by making sacrifices of unclean animals. So Jews had very specific laws for offering and sacrifice. Antiochus Epiphanes brought in a pig, a young sow is what it says, and he sacrificed this animal on the altar, which would have been unclean in the eyes of Jews. It would have been an abomination. The, the temple would have been made desolate. There would have been this desecration happening, and he rubbed the pig's, wall, the pig's blood all over the walls and made the, the priests drink the blood, of the, the blood of the pigs and turned the temple into a brothel and enslaved thousands and thousands of Jews, right? So this was a day that Daniel prophesied about. And when Jesus says the abomination of desolation, he's trying to draw up in his disciples' minds something that happened historically, something that they would have heard tell about, something that generations before them, they would have gone through to remember what this felt like, to remember the abomination that happened in the temple for the immediate uh, foreshadowing 40 years later in AD 70 when the temple will be torn down under the emperor Titus, right? The Roman army comes in tears down the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, suffering is going to come, and it's going to look kind of like this. But he's also telling them of a day that is going to come in the future. He's telling us of a day that is going to come in the future. So as we look at Antiochus Epiphanes, who thought he was the image of Zeus, in my personal opinion, he is a shining or a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, something that will happen once again, that we will be able to look at a model of what will happen and what has happened in 168 BC and say, this is happening again. The abomination of desolation is happening in the temple again. And Jesus, again, just like he said last week, he's saying, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived that suffering will come, and do not be deceived about what it is going to look like. And then he details this in, in verses 17 through 20 when he talks to men, women, and children. When he says, if you're out in the field working, don't go back to get stuff. Just run away. If you're up on the housetop having a party, don't go back into your house to grab stuff. If you are pregnant or nursing at that time, woe unto you. It's going to be hard for you to flee. It's going to be hard for you to run away from these things. He is talking with a sense of immediacy. He says uh, that you, if you're going to travel with this, happens in the winter, the roads are going to be bad. Amen? Right? If you're trying to run away, it's going to be hard, right? And travel is going to be difficult. Like, my car got stuck in the snow twice this week, and I wasn't even driving it. It's okay. Or on the Sabbath, right? He says, don't do it on the Sabbath. Why? Because the gates to the temple are going to be locked, because uh, travel is going to be hard, right? So as he's talking about this day in AD 70, as well as a day in the future in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, stuff still shuts down, right? You can't, you can't hail a cab quite as easily. You can't get anywhere quite as easily. So what Jesus is saying is that suffering will come, but again, he's talking specifically geographically in Jerusalem proper. So this text is prescriptive to those in Jerusalem, but descriptive for us as followers of Jesus Christ to understand what kind of posture we need to take when we see this happening, when we see this suffering happening. And he is saying immediately, don't have anything that's going to distract you or slow you down, stop you from running to the place of refuge or running to the place of healing, right? So he's saying when you see this happening, you need to get out and you need to go fast. And I think that for us today, Pain is probably the best indicator of suffering, right? That when you are in pain, you feel like you're suffering. And for me, God gave me a sermon illustration this week when I herniated a disc in my back on Tuesday. And I said, thank you, Lord, that I get to preach on suffering. And you're going to give me this kind of week. Hallelujah. Uh, my wife reminded me that I prayed for this. And I was like, no, there's no way I prayed for this. But she's exactly right. I did pray because I got too comfortable. And what happens? So a walking sermon illustration he gave me this week. When I'm suffering, what do I do? Am I lamenting and looking for treatment here and there and hoping that it gets better? No. 
I'm sprinting to the only place I can get healing. I can get treatment in the world. Healing only comes from Jesus Christ, right? I'm running to the only place I can find refuge. So God allows physical suffering to get us into spiritual healing, to get us into spiritual refuge. So he's saying, know that suffering will come. And as you're going through these things in your life, that you should be reminded of a number of things. What I'm reminded of any time that I herniate a disc, which if you've been coming to this church for a while, you know that I've been going through this for a long time, right? I thank God for the 15 months of no disc herniations, and I'm grateful for it, but I've been going through it for a while, and he gets Gets my attention with this stuff regularly, and I appreciate it. But I'm reminded that this is passing away. I'm reminded that my physical body is not all there is. I'm reminded from 2 Corinthians 4 and Hebrews 9 that I'm going to experience physical pain in my body, that one day this body is going to die, that it's going to be gone. So what am I looking toward? What, where, where do I put all of my hope? Is all my hope in right here and right now and the physical suffering that I'm encountering in this moment? Or is all, in my, all of my hope in once this physical body passes away, I'm going to get a renewed body in heaven. Hallelujah. You want to say amen to that? If you, Yeah, come on. Some of you who maybe got you know, a few too many pounds on, hallelujah, you got a renewed body coming, right? You got back issues, hallelujah, you got a renewed body coming. So this reminds us of the ultimate healing. This reminds us that this light momentary affliction is far surpassed by this eternal weight of glory, knowing that suffering will come, that we should not delay in seeking refuge and not delay in seeking healing. And healing only comes from one place, friends, and that is Jesus Christ, right? Life on this earth in this fallen, broken world that is desperate for Jesus Christ, we're going to experience these things. We're going to experience suffering. And I want to read from Romans chapter 5 what the Apostle Paul says about suffering and what that does in our lives, what that does in our hearts and how we can indeed rejoice. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if we are followers of Christ, and if we understand point number one, knowing that suffering is going to come, that our suffering does not immediately bring us to disappointment or discouragement, what it brings us to is endurance, and what it brings us to is character, and what it brings us to is hope. And in the face of suffering, we bring all this directly to God, who is our refuge and our healer, because he's transforming us, to experience the fullness of his grace. He's transforming us to experience the fullness of him. So if we know that suffering is going to come, and in the way that Jesus was preaching to his disciples, knowing that suffering was going to come, it should lead us instantly. Suffering should lead us to trust God's sovereignty. That as we're suffering, and if we understand these things, knowing that it's going to come, it should lead us into trust. And I know that may sound strange, but how many of you ever suffered through something, but God brought you through it? Come on, go, give him a shout. Give him a shout of praise. Come on. Yeah. If you've been through it, you know. We know we can trust the sovereignty of God because he is good all the time. Because Christ wants us, because Christ loves us, because Christ gave himself for us. So we can trust in the sovereignty of God. But what does Jesus say to his, his disciples here immediately? It's in verse 22 where he says, these days are going to be cut short. 
the war and the, and the, the tribulation you're going to experience is going to be cut short. This is how we can trust in the sovereignty of God because God is going to protect his people. And I think tribulations that we face on earth and the great tribulation are two different things for God's church, right? I think the believer is going to go through suffering, but I think the ultimate tribulation is something very different. The day that there has been nothing like it and there will never be anything like it again, I think that day probably hasn't come quite yet because I, I still look on the news and I'm like, oh, wow, that looks like a big old mess. But if nothing like this will ever happen again, we'll know that it is Jesus Christ. So what we need to do is trust in the sovereignty of God. And the immediate application, again, Jesus telling his disciples, suffering is going to come, but those days are not going to last forever because God is going to protect his people. You can trust in the character of your God. He's going to cut those days short. Why? Because of his elect, because he loves his church, because he loves his chosen people, because he loves the bride, and he's not going to allow us to suffer through everything Jesus says that everyone would be dead, that no one would live through this if those days were not cut short. So the immediate application, 40 years later after Jesus says this, is 70 AD, where a, a, a Jewish historian, Josephus, says about 100,000 Jews were imprisoned and another 100,000 plus Jews were killed in this time, right? So it was a pretty bad time for them. People who didn't heed Jesus' warning, people who didn't run immediately or, or, or that they didn't take to flight when they saw the abomination of desolation happening in the place in the temple and Jesus talks about this when he tells the scribes and Pharisees in chapter 23 that this house you're in is going to become desolate he talks about this so it's all tied together here again he's talking about three separate days the most important thing for us to understand is the the conceptual principles of knowing suffering is going to come Christ tells us so of trusting in the sovereignty of God, everything Jesus said would happen has happened and will happen. We know we can trust him. I think the greatest way that we can trust in the sovereignty of God is prayer. That for many of us, like even as I'm running through these dates and talking about a prophecy 483 years before Jesus Christ hits the scene, and then there's this other day coming in 70 AD and 168 BC, and some of you stopped listening like, eight seconds into what I started preaching, right? Like, I get it. I, like, I had to run through this a few times, so I'm like, I stopped listening. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, right? So, so we had to work this out. I'm trying to tie the dots together. This is like a 50-year Bible study that we're trying to do in 33 minutes, okay? So bear, bear with me here. But the ultimate way I think that we can trust the sovereignty of God is through prayer. That when we don't understand what's going on, prayer is the best place we can go. When we're suffering and we don't know why, prayer is the best place we can go. If we're suffering to work through, what is Daniel talking about with these 70 weeks of seven and a time, a half a time and another time? What, what is going on with, with, with the book of Daniel and then the prophecy that seems to be fulfilled but then left out in Ezekiel and then as we look at Revelation, so as we're looking through all these things, the best place we can go to trust the sovereignty of God is prayer. Why? Prayer is an act of trusting God's power, reign, and rule over all things. Why pray if you don't believe God's going to do something about it? Why pray if we don't believe that God is going to listen? As the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians here, right, we, we see this, right? That What does he say? Don't be anxious about anything. But in all things, through prayer, supplication, deeper prayer, and thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And then what happens? What happens in chapter 4, verse 7? It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trusting in the sovereignty of God when we're experiencing suffering, this is the best way to do it. By praying and saying, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm thankful that I get to talk to you. 
I'm thankful that you hear me. I'm thankful that you're guarding my heart and guarding my mind in Christ Jesus, that I don't even have to understand it when I'm praying to the God of the universe. I don't have to feel my way through everything when Christ Jesus is protecting me. I don't have to think my way through everything when Christ Jesus is protecting me and I'm being guarded when I'm not being anxious about anything but in everything through prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, I'm making my requests be made known to God. That's how we trust the sovereignty of God. But the problem is many of us don't pray biblically, right? We pray like to a genie in the bottle. Why we pray? Because we're like, okay, I used up one wish last week, but I'm hoping you can get me through this one, and then we never talk to him again. God is not AAA, right? He is our heavenly father. He, we need to be talking to him every single day. This is how we trust in his sovereignty, and he reveals these things to us. And if we're concerned about the signs that are going to come, and did we miss it or didn't we miss it, I'm certain. I, like, I, I wasn't alive in, in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, but if anyone in here was, I'm certain somebody thought World War II was the end times, right? I'm certain that Hitler was the abomination of desolation in some people's minds, yet we're still here, right? We're still going on. So if I'm trying to interpret all these signs and I don't understand how to do all this stuff, prayer is the best place I can go to to trust the sovereignty of God and say, please focus me on what I'm supposed to pay attention to. As we saw last week, what are we supposed to pay attention to? Great commandment, great commission, right? We're not supposed to try to figure out when exactly this is going to happen. That's not what gives us life. That's not what gets us home to where Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, for predicting the day right or for you know, knowing that it was going to rain and it rained, right? You put the fleece down. All right, we won't, we won't go there. But so and we just have to pay attention to the signs, but if we're looking to understand the signs, we need to pray. How many of you ever watch, uh, I'm going to embarrass myself for a moment, um, it's, the, it's called the Redneck Comedy Tour, something like that? Nobody? Am I on the wrong campus? Should I, should I go to Lapeer? Come on, somebody watch it. Some of y'all, yeah, see, I see some sheepish hands going up there like, yeah, I saw it. It's Okay. So, right, there's, there's a guy in there, his name's Bill Ingvall, right, the comedian who does the here's your sign bit, right? And, and there was one in there where he pulls up to an auto store, and he's got a flat tire, and some guy says, you got a flat tire? And he's like, no, the other three just swelled up on me real quick. And, and, and the guy's like, well, the heat will do that to you in Texas. He's like, what are you talking, like, are you serious? Right, so it, there are things that are obvious and Bill Ingvall says, here's your sign, right? Hands you the sign. So as we are looking for the signs of the end of the age, right? This is what Jesus' disciples asked him. How will we know of your coming? How will we know of the signs? He gets there a little bit later in the text. But we have to be paying attention to the signs at least, church, right? We've got to be watching. But the most beautiful thing that I can tell you today is that if you are found in Christ, if you are a son or daughter of our God, our Father, you don't have to look for the tribulation. You don't have to be paying attention for the wars. You don't have to be adding stuff up. What are you looking for? The return of Christ. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for our Savior coming back. We're not looking for the negativity. We're not looking to figure out all this other stuff. We're looking for Jesus. That is the primary thing that we're looking for. If we understand that suffering is going to come, and we see that suffering should lead us to trust in God's sovereignty, Jesus makes this ABC very, very simple with point number three. Realize that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. 
That you don't have to spend time trying to figure out, is he going to come here? Is he going to come there? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Jesus' return is going to be unmistakable. So he's providing his followers here with another warning that's really the same kind of warning he gave to them last week, if you were here last week, of don't be led astray. Don't listen to the wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation, all these things saying, oh, the end has to be coming or it's going to come here or it's going to come there. He's saying, no, 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 no. Do not be led astray because there's going to be other things that are coming. There's going to be false messiahs, false Christ, false prophets. The Antichrist is coming. The abomination of desolation is going to be standing in the holy place. And Jesus, again, he tells his followers, do not be led astray. Be wary of deception. And he's even saying, like, there's going to be some people that are some pretty impressive deceivers. He talks about signs and wonders, which has been going on since the beginning of our faith heritage, right? And in Deuteronomy, Moses is talking about that. He warns people against soothsayers, which are people that can predict the future. He warns people against magicians. So just because you can do something real fancy, that doesn't necessarily mean it comes from the hand of God, right? That the enemy has lots of tricks too, right? The enemy can do a lot of things in this world and make it look one way, but Jesus is saying, do not be deceived, along with the idea that the Messiah is going to come in one of these two places. This is why such a big deal was made out of John the Baptist, right? When John the Baptist came and people were asking him, are you the Messiah? Because there was this expectation that the Messiah would come back in the wilderness. So John the Baptist comes back in the wilderness, preaching, teaching, baptizing, giving for the repentance of sins. So they're like, you have to be the Messiah. This has to be you. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. If somebody says, look in the wilderness, no, it's not me. Or in the inner rooms, right, where he talks about he's going to come back in some secret place. And only a few people are going to know when he comes back. And it's going to be really, really special people will know when he comes back. That was the un- another expectation of the Jewish religious elite. And he says, no. In fact, the exact opposite is true about my return. That the return of Christ is going to be unmistakable. He's saying, don't listen to the false prophets. Don't listen to the false messiahs. Don't listen to the antichrist that will come. You know, preaching a message of peace, preaching a message of restoration, it's not going to last that long. It's, it's going to last you know, shorter than some of y'all relationships, right? Three and a half years is how long it's going to last for the whole world, right? So he's saying, no, the exact opposite is true as lightning shines. In the east, it's, it's shown in the west. You can see it. It's unmistakable when our king comes back. It's unmistakable when our savior returns home. If he's not your savior, you may miss it. Because what he says here in verse 28 is, is actually pretty horrifying, right? It says, where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. He's saying, those of you who are spiritually dead, the vultures who are here to lead you astray and here to pick you apart, they're going to be here. Because those of you who are spiritually dead, you're not, you're not waiting on Jesus to come back. You're waiting on tribulation. You're waiting on judgment. You're waiting on pain. But for those of us, amen. For those of us that are found in Christ Jesus, who have accepted his great and glorious gospel, who have given our lives over to him, who have repented of our sins, confessed that he is Lord and that he raised from the dead, we're looking to Christ instead of the pain that is coming. So in verse 28, when he, when he talks about this, when he says that where the corpse is, there the vultures will ga- gather, he's talking about those who are spiritually dead and that false Christ, false messiahs, and the Antichrist can easily lead them away because they're spiritually dead anyway. So what do we need to do today? Today, we need to pay attention to what we're listening to. Today, with every, almost every sermon preached in the last 50 years is a click away. Every single book you can imagine is a click away. You can find something on, how many of you got lost on YouTube one day and you just started seeing something and you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, this is wrong. This is not, 
of you, right? Anybody who watches anything spiritual on YouTube, you always end up on something crazy, right? It always gets to like the most polarizing, crazy theologian the world's ever known. I don't know how it ends up on there some, always. So, but, but we need to consider, who are we listening to? What, what pastors and preachers and churches are you listening to? Now, I'm, by no means am I claiming I have all the right answers. I am just claiming that I know the one who has all the right answers. And every single week, we're going to petition him for all the right answers, right? We're going to look at everything in the Bible. If I ever say something that's not found in the Bible and don't tell you this is my opinion, please, let's talk about it. But we're going to go to the Bible every single Sunday. But who else are you listening to? Are you listening to people that saying salvation will come when anything other than Jesus happens? Are you listening to people who are reading things that don't talk about biblical Christianity the way it actually is told in the scriptures? Right? I know that, that history is being changed left and right. We know these, it's called the Mandela effect, right? We know about these things where we think we saw things one way, but it was actually another way. But any of these teachers, preachers, messiahs, prophets, whatever they want to call themselves, apostles, if they're not pointing to Jesus, ultimately they're leading you away from Jesus. Amen. So what we need to do is pay very, very close attention to who we're listening to. What are we reading? What are we looking into? And if people are claiming to have all the answers and you're claiming to be Christ and they're not talking about Jesus, you can know pretty quick they don't have all the answers, right? You can know pretty quick that they may be proved wrong. Many people have predicted the day that Jesus would come back and then that day came and nothing happened. Many people have predicted that this would be the tribulation or we're in the tribulation and he's, he's right at the gate as, as we're going to see next week, right? As we're going to see next Sunday. But we have to understand that it is only Jesus who has uh, all this authority. He's the one who has all the power. He's the one that has all the, min the dominion. He's the one who has all of our refuge bound up in him. All of our healing is bound up in him. But he doesn't even know the day he's coming back. Only God the Father does. The angels don't know. Even Jesus doesn't know. Only when God the Father says so is when that will happen. I, we have a, a belief that I think I know maybe when that would happen, not a day, but when that would happen in the terms of how the Bible lays things out in terms of the tribulation, but th that's not what we're here for today. What we need to understand is as Jesus, for back-to-back -back pericopes in Matthew chapter 24, has said, don't be deceived, don't be led astray, what are we doing to make sure we're not led astray? What are we doing to make sure we're not deceived? How many of us are reading our Bible every single day? That's what we got to do. That's where we have to be found, right? We can listen to good people that are going to preach and teach the way of the kingdom and the, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we're not reading the word, how are we going to know for ourselves? And the reality here is that both of these things, the immediate history, which Jesus is preaching to his disciples here about 70 AD, and eternity are very important for us. So wherever we are, what is the most important day? This will be a kind of a trick question. What's the most important day for us right now? Who said that? Great job, Amanda Nell. <laughs> Great job together. Wonderful. There are no prizes, but well done. Today, right now, is the most important day for us. And many people say, the day of my salvation. And if that's not today, then there's work to be done. 
Right? If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today can be the day of salvation. And you can pair those days together. But for many of us, we get hung up on the day, the day I got saved is the most important day for me right now. It's a very important day. It's the day that you were brought into the family of God forever. But he gave you today because he wants to do something. Because he wants to continue to use everything that's going on for his glory. So the immediate future, the present and the near future, are very important for us as we are going through struggling, as we are going through suffering as believers, but we need to take Jesus' words to heart of not being led astray. And people are saying, oh, look, there's the, there's the Messiah. Don't believe it. Or people say, he'll come back this time, this day, right here. Don't believe it. Even if they're right, what difference is that going to make for you? What we have to focus on is what is Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, doing in our lives today? What does he want from us right now? How are we to fulfill the great commandment of loving God and loving others and the great commission of going to all the nations, preaching the gospel, discipling people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. That's what we're called to do today. This is why Matthew 24 is such a helpful and important passage for us right now. Because many people proclaim to speak truth, but it's a false doctrine. Many people proclaim to have salvation in, in their platform or you know, their, their points of their deal or whatever it is. It's a false doctrine. Anything that points away from Christ as the Messiah is leading you into deception. It's hard for us because we want to have the answers. But this is, why we, this is why point number two was so important for us, to trust in the sovereignty of God, that we can get there through prayer, that we can be held up by prayer through, to God, that he will help us in our day of trouble. He will help us when we're going through whatever we're going through. He will help us try to get through whatever we need to get through. But ultimately, we got to do it today, right? And as we look at suffering and as we look at God's sovereignty, as we look at the Savior, Jesus Christ, we know we can trust him. Why? Because he suffered and endured on our behalf. He suffered on the cross. He didn't, if he was the son of God, couldn't he have not gone through suffering? Of course, he could have done whatever he wanted. He could have commanded angels to come and, and just give him the kingdom right then and there. But no, he suffered on our behalf. Why? Because atoning, an atoning sacrifice had to be made. Because for each and every one of us, that we are following the devil until a but God moment when we confessed of our sins, repented and confessed that he was Lord. And then we began to follow Christ and we were brought into the bride of Christ, into the family of God. And as we look at the wages of sin being death, but then there is a free gift that is offered. As we find this in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 5, there's a free gift of grace and a free gift of righteousness that is offered through faith. And this faith is the thing that allows us to suffer well. This faith is the thing that allows us to trust in the sovereignty of God. And this faith is the thing that will allow us to realize that the return of Christ will indeed be unmistakable. Right? So as we... Stand to our feet right now. We're going to sing a new song. So the worship team is going to come back out. It's a really simple song. But, but the song is simply called Jesus is the Answer. So we're going to go back over our three points really quickly just to remind us of what Jesus is saying. Because, again, we've run through a lot of different things today of days gone by and throughout a number of different years and dates and all different kinds of things. But we need to understand conceptually what Christ is saying to his disciples and what we need to do about it today. What we need to do about it today is heed his words when he says, don't be surprised when suffering will come. Right? Don't, don't get all mad at God when, when you have a bad day. Right? When you get a flat tire, shout hallelujah. Amen? 
couple people. That's okay. A couple people were there together, right? But don't be surprised when suffering comes. And knowing that it's going to come, what do we do because it comes? We have to trust in the sovereignty of God. And what, what, is it, what does it mean to be sovereign? It means soul reign. It means he's the only one who is in charge. He's the only one who has all, all authority, all dominion, all power belongs to God. So we have a God of the universe, a creator of the universe, who has made and created all things that we can talk to, that wants to hear from us, and in fact, wants to do the things we ask him to do. But so many of us don't talk to him. So many of us don't speak to our father because, again, we treat him like a genie in a bottle or a AAA or, you know, like we've got to grovel back to him or something. That's not what it is, friends. That's not what, what the, the kind of father we have in heaven. That's not the sovereignty of God to be trusting in. So God says, that in my sovereignty, I'm going to cut these days of war short for you. But also in, in the sovereignty of God today, right now, what does that mean? we got to, we got to go to him in prayer. We've got to go to him with our family, one to another. We've got to go to him with our brothers and sisters together, trusting in the sovereignty of God that he's the one who's going to lead us through all of this stuff, knowing that suffering is going to come, and then finally recognizing that the return of Jesus will be unmistakable. So you don't have to waste our time trying to figure out, is this Jesus, is that Jesus? If you're his and it's him, you'll know because he'll get you. He's coming for you because he wants you. He wants his bride and he wants to come back and get his bride. But if you have not put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then, then you're not looking for the return of Jesus. You're looking for pain and it's coming. You're looking for judgment and it's coming. But there is a way today, right now, as we sing this song, to, to proclaim that Jesus is the answer, to proclaim that Jesus is the one who came to take the penalty away of sin away from us, who died and was risen from the dead three days later and is ruling and reigning right now and is coming back to get us one day. That's how you can get past this tribulation and get into the coming of Christ when he comes back for us. So friends, today, may we not be surprised when suffering comes. And may we go to the only place of refuge and healing for all of our suffering. It's Jesus, right? It's not running home. It's not running to our parents' house. It's not getting a better job. It's not if this happens, then that happens, and I'll get some good stuff here, some bad stuff there. No, it's Jesus. It's only always Jesus. He is the answer. And as he's speaking to his disciples here, he says the same thing to them in essence over the last two weeks. Do not be deceived. Do not be led astray. So if anybody you're hearing, if anything that's going on in your own heart is not leading you to Jesus as the answer, then we need to get there together, church, because you're being deceived and being led astray that he's not the only one, the only answer. So as we sing this song, Wendell's going to teach us this new song. It's a really simple one, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to continue worshiping, church. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we do give you all of the praise, glory, and honor. We trust you. We love you. We need you to reveal your truth to us. We need you to minister to our hearts right now. We need you in the middle of our suffering when we don't know which way to go. May we turn to you, Jesus. We need you when we're struggling to believe that a merciful God could be in charge when there's so much pain all over the world. Send your Holy Spirit to equip us to receive you, Jesus, that you are the one 
you are the only one. You are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So as we know that suffering will come, may we be trained by it, by trusting in your sovereignty, but by ultimately being able to look forward to a Savior that is coming back to claim his people. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your mighty name. And in that mighty name, we give shouts of praise and acclamations saying hallelujah to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We shout amen. Let's give him praise as we sing this song together that Jesus is the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So as we live in the culture of cancel culture and putting our hope and our faith in politicians, Jesus is the way. So the song is very simple. It just says that Jesus is the way for the world today. Above him there is no other. That Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Oh, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. For Jesus is the way. Help us sing, Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Above him, there's no other. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the way. Whoa. Jesus is the answer for the, for the world. world today. Above him, there's no other. There's no other. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. One more time. Jesus is.
Jesus is the way. One more time, Jesus said. Jesus is the way. Above him, above him there's no one. Above him there's no one. Above him there's no one. Above him there's no other. Above him there's no one. Said above him there's. Above him there's no one. I searched all over. Above him there's no one. And I can't find nobody. Above him there's no one. No one can feel me like him. No other can cheer me like him. For Jesus is, Jesus is the way. So friends, it's, it's that simple, that Jesus Christ is the one true hope for the near future and for eternity. That as we're gonna experience suffering in our lives, he's the one true hope for right now and for forever. So as we sing this song, may it be on your lips as you leave this place, right? That whomever you encounter, they would know that you believe Jesus is the answer. They would know that you believe Jesus is the way. And may it make its way to the restaurant or the dinner table and throughout your home, throughout your family, throughout your neighborhood, throughout all of the places that you get the chance to touch, your workplace, the classroom, whatever it may be, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the answer. May we not be surprised when suffering comes. May we suffer well by allowing him to be our Lord and Savior, by asking for him to come into our lives, forgive us of our sin, and seal us for eternity. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you, Jesus, that you have revealed yourself as the one true God. You have revealed yourself as the way, the truth, and the life. And we give your name all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would seal us, you would protect us, you would lead us and guide us. You would rule and reign in our hearts and our minds. That we would point everyone to you. By our thoughts, by our words, by our deeds, and most importantly, by our love. Thank you for your generosity, God that you have been so gracious to us to give us a building to worship in, to give us one another to sing alongside of, to give us a worship team to lead us to the throne of grace, to give us everything we have. We know it all comes from you. So I pray that because of your generosity, our generosity would increase. And not just with material things or money, but that our, the generosity would increase in our lives of our time. That fathers would spend more time with their children because of generosity given from God that brothers and sisters would spend more time with one another, valuing one another above materialistic things, that we would be more generous with our testimony, that each and every one of us who are found in Jesus Christ right now have an unbelievable story with Jesus Christ at the center of it. May we be generous with our time, with our talents, with our testimony, and with our treasure. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your mighty name. We say thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for carrying us out of this place and into the mission field. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. We ask in the name above all names, the name of our Lord and Savior, the name of Jesus Christ. Together we say amen.
and hallelujah. You are dispatched. Woodside Bible Church, we love you. God bless you. He's the way, the truth, the life. 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 joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.